I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to this episode of Fan Effect Podcast, sponsored by our friends at Megaplex Theaters, Utah's premier movie-going experiences. And thinking about movie-going experiences, today we are talking about a theater experience turned to a movie theater experience. For anyone entrenched in the world of musical theater, Lin-Manuel Miranda has been a staple in your listen history long before the off-Broadway premiere of the much-celebrated pop culture smash Hamilton. In fact, Lynn's first Broadway show, which he originally conceived as a sophomore in college, went on to garner critical acclaim, Tony Awards, and now a big budget, and may I say fantastically beautiful and moving, movie adaptation. In the Heights, hitting theaters in HBO Max June 11, 2021, after a year of delays due to the coronavirus pandemic, is a stunning adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2008 production, in which Lin himself takes on the now-iconic role. The movie is about a diverse cast of characters living in the northern Manhattan neighborhood of Washington Heights. Our lead protagonist, narrator, and bodega owner, Yusnavi, weaves the story of his own little, big dreams throughout the tales of those of his close-knit neighborhood. In the Heights changes afoot as the mostly Latino community fights the heat of summer, the rising cost of living as gentrification tears at the seams of the American dreamers' lives. Stories of family drama, legal troubles, and the struggle for cultural identity in a changing world are woven amid stories of love, community, kindness, and triumph. While many of the songs are shuffled and slightly changed from the musical version, Movie Magic makes way for different and often deeper dives into the character's life through the use of cinematography shots, cuts, and even whimsical special effects, tricks, and monologues. The show culminates with moving message about the power of finding the dream and belonging of home. I'm your host today, Kellyanne Halverson, and I must admit... I'm a little biased when it comes to this film, as I love the show version. I'm joined by my co-host, Andy Farnsworth. Hello. (laughs) Um, Who experienced the movie as a newcomer to the story and can maybe provide a less biased... Just a newcomer to In the Heights. I'm not a newcomer to musicals, just this particular one. Yes, yes. He's not a musical basher. (laughs) No way. No, no. I'm a big, huge musical fan. This is just one that I hadn't ever seen.
seen before. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I hope you enjoyed the experience, which we will get into soon. Uh, but we are joined by a special guest from Hale Center Theater, uh, Bobby Gibson. He's the projection designer and content creator for the award-winning theater. He is a huge theater nerd, and he co-hosts the We Are Here Broadway YouTube channel about all things theater. And he and his wife has seen over 100 Broadway shows. Absolutely. <laughs> we love him. I've seen one. You've seen one? Yep. On Broadway. I've seen a lot of musicals. Only one on Broadway. Hairspray, the week after it won the Tony back in 2003. Uh Jealous. And we got one of those $25 lottery ticket. No. (laughs) That makes it even better. So we were in the corner, but we saw it the week it won the Tony. I think I've seen like six, but I saw the original cast of Wicked except for Idina, who was filming. Oh, jealous. Oh, it was so good. I loved it. At one point, Norbert Leo Butts actually slipped on stage, and it was this big dramatic moment. And everyone was laughing so hard. And Christian Chenoweth turned her back to the audience, shaking with laughter, and sidestepped off the stage because it was just too much for her. And Norbert Leo Butts, when he fell, he's like, that was smooth. So it was, I love Did he fall on his butts? He did. He did. I mean, how did he not say that to the audience? (laughs) He's like, I guess I'm appropriately named. (laughs) And it's so much fun, that theater-going experience. And you have seen this show alone like 16 times, correct? Yes, so many times. This is a show that I've loved. It's for whatever reason, it just really hit hard for me the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. Fell in love with the music. And it was about the time where I had started going to New York a lot. So I fell in love with walking the streets of Washington Heights (sighs) and that kind of thing as well. That is amazing. Um, and you've seen, like, Lin-Manuel and stuff perform the yeah. role of you, Snobby. Yeah, so I saw Lin-Manuel in this, and then Lin-Manuel in L.A. in this as well, and he was wonderful. In fact, to the point where it's tough to see anyone else <laughs> perform it. Well, um, I'm so grateful because I know you through my dad, who also does some work at the Hale Center Theater, and you were able to join me for the screening, you and another person from Hale, and it was so much fun just chatting with you about that experience. So I'm really grateful you're able to join us today. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> All right, so for this first segment, uh, we're actually going to stick to spoiler-free review of the film, um, and then we're going to move into a deeper dive in the following segment. So if you haven't seen the film yet, you're okay to listen to the first part till we get to the ad break, and then we'll we'll kind of move forward from Especially that. if you're on the fence about mm-hmm. musicals in general or this one in particular, uh, listen to the spoiler-free part and then make a decision. Mm-hmm. Particularly if Give like, us the open mind benefit of the doubt. Particularly if like all you really know about Lin-Manuel Miranda is like all the hype and the giantness of, of Hamilton. This is a good way to see if, if it lives, lives up to that. So There's so much well, more there. To be mm-hmm. fair, this was before Hamilton, so... You can't judge it exactly the same as if mm-hmm. if uh, Ham if this came after Hamilton because he wrote this one before. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's what's... That to, to, you got to be fair. Like you can't say, "Well, Hamilton was so much better." Well, <laughs> you'd think that the one you wrote second would be better than the first because you learned from the first, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, apparently, this <laughs> it was the delay in production mm-hmm. of the movie version of In the Heights is the reason we have Hamilton in the first place. Because he was waiting on it, and then he read the book about Hamilton, and then he decided to write mm-hmm. Hamilton. Well, and then what's crazy is it kind of fizzled out as he wrote Hamilton and got it out, so they weren't really going to do a movie. They'd kind of dropped the project. And then Hamilton became really big, so they went back to the movie idea, and now we have the movie, even though it's a year after when we thought we were going to get it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. There's so many things that kind of helped this film come to light at this time and really bring it out. And I think, I don't know, it's a twist of fate, but mm-hmm. I really enjoy that it came out at this time. Oh, well, yeah. s- since you brought it up, this is the long journey from stage to screen for In the Heights. 
It was originally written, as you mentioned, when he was in college. College. And that was back in 2000, 2002-ish. Universal Pictures originally planned to make a movie out of it in 2008. And it was right after it won the Tonys. Uh, And then the plan was for it to hit theaters in 2011. But then they just put the project on the shelf. So by 2016, the rights had been picked up by the Weinstein Company. And then, and then, and that's when they hired the director John Chu, who uh, later did Crazy Rich Asians, which we love. But then, after the sexual misconduct allegations against Harvey Weinstein came to light, uh, Miranda, and then the screenwriter, and I know I'm going to say the name wrong, Chiara Allegria. It's H U D E S, and I'm pretty sure the H is silent, so it would be Udis, I believe, if you're saying it in Spanish. Uh, anyway, they auctioned the rights off. Warner Brothers bought it, uh, and then finally got the movie shot, and then set the re- theatrical release date for mm-hmm. last summer, and then had to wait for one more delay on it. And mm-hmm. so finally, 2021 June, it finally sees the big screen. And I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm glad that it's here. Definitely glad. And also last year when we heard it wasn't coming to get Hamilton on Disney Plus was, I guess, something that helped us get by until the Heights could come out. Right. And so that was able to come I'm out. I'm glad so that happened because I still haven't seen Hamilton other than on Disney Plus. And so, well, so where could I have seen it since it came out during the pandemic? But <laughs> but I I got a chance to see Hamilton and I, I, you know, I hadn't even really listened to the soundtrack until I saw that. I didn't want to listen to the soundtrack. I did that with Wicked, and everything was out of context, and the songs were good. But then when I suddenly had context, when I finally saw Wicked, I was like, ah, yeah, now these songs are actually really good instead of just, eh. But I didn't want to do that with <laughs> Hamilton. I was like, okay, I'm going to see it, then I'll listen to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And that's what, in the Heights, I had to do it a little bit reversed because once I knew I was going to see it, I was like, I, I got to at least get myself familiarized with the tone, the sound, what's a little bit of the story. And and I think that helped a lot too. And then again, after seeing it, it made me appreciate the music that much more. Well, and I think that's actually a really good thing to do, particularly if you're not listening to like hip hop, rap or Spanish music where the pace is a little bit different. It's a good idea to maybe listen ahead of time or familiar yourself ahead of time. Um, he crams a lot of vocabulary into really short stanzas. I know those shows Absolutely. backwards and forwards. I, I and can't I was... do it. I'm, I'm amazed. The more I listen to some of these things, the more I'm amazed at not j- especially Hamilton, mm-hmm. just because he crams like a narrative story that quick that you know may or may not be 100 percent accurate, but it's accurate enough mm-hmm. that you at least understand the gist of the story in that lyrical way and and I'm more impressed with it every time I listen to it. Well, and it really is impressive. I know it. I can barely say it. I don't know how you wrote it. <laughs> I know both like backwards and forwards. And as I was driving um, to go see the, the screening of the film with my dad, we were listening to the album and going through it and I was trying to sing it and I couldn't even say all the words, even though I know all the words. But, you know, as you know, Bobby, our reigning Broadway theater in the Heights um, person here, expert here, I should say, um, if without going too in deep, um, what was your general impression of the film adaptation, um, and would you recommend people go see it? Sure. So I think my overall general uh, thoughts of the film itself, you're always a little nervous when a show or a book or something that you love gets turned into mm-hmm. a film, or maybe a film gets turned into a musical, but... My overall impression was this overall look at home. I think the story takes place in Washington Heights, but it tells the story of different people in home. Um, and is it they're leaving home, they're trying to come back from home, those different things. And I think they hit that really well. There's this piece about this movie and this story that really everybody 
really needs to hear and feel. Um, it was shot beautifully. Oh my gosh, yes. And um, in the Heights neighborhood, I was thinking it was the Warner's backlog, but they filmed actually at location. Yeah, on location in Washington Heights, with, which is just beautiful. Lin-Manuel has actually lived on or around in the or Washington Heights for a lot of his time growing up in New York as well. So it was this really lovely thing that they could do. But the overall impression of the film is that it's just this beautiful, heartfelt story told through hip-hop and these different infusions of music and all these people from all over the world gathering in this neighborhood and kind of telling their stories. So I absolutely would recommend it. I love the film. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> Andy, what, what about you? As someone who hadn't seen the musical stage version before, um, maybe knew the music a little bit, what, what was your impression? Well, I tried to look at it two different ways. I tried to look at it as the way of like just me. I know what I like. And, you know, having a familiarity with Latin American culture, having lived in Latin America a couple of years and, you know, just having friends and different well, I things. I forgot about that. Which, where were you? I lived in Brazil, Brazil. but, okay. it, you know, there there's a lot of similarities. Uh, in fact, it was more the ambiance than this, some specific things. But, you know, I've got neighbors uh, who are from, I've had neighbors that are from, friends from Dominican Republic, from Colombia. I've got uh, a guy I served with in church who uh, was from uh, El Salvador. I mean, so spent a lot of time in homes and, you know, there, there's a feel to it that yeah. I thought was really authentic that I liked. So I knew I was going to like that, but I also know that that's not everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to watch it too, since I was going to review it. I wanted to like, okay, what if I didn't know what I know? What if I didn't have an affinity for musicals already? You know, what were the, what are the things that I would like? Cause you know, I have a friend who I said, did you see Hamilton when it came out on Disney plus? He's like, yeah, it's a good thing. It was rap. He's like, cause I could barely take that. And I was like, really? Cause the more I watch it, like the cooler it gets. And you know, the, the rap was kind of secondary. Um, but he liked it because of the rap. So then I was like, okay, so we're going to run into people like that who just, and, and then as a funny aside, when I was trying to find somebody to go see the screening with me, uh, cause my wife couldn't go and my daughters were in things that night. So I couldn't take them. I was already skipping something to go see the screening anyway. <laughs> you can always call me. Okay. That's good to know. Um, but I'm like, I call people up who normally go with me to screenings when I call them up. They're like, yeah, what's it called in the Heights? Yeah. It's a, it's a musical. Oh, uh, I, I, I just remembered. I, I got to, to wash my hair or that something. That is totally like that. opposite of any of my friends. And so. I finally, I, I finally got my cousin who I know likes musicals, and then her brother who was on the uh, folk dance team at BYU. So I watched it with them, and uh, and we had a great time. And but I was, it, it was one of those things where I wanted to see it. So it, it, I had to try to think of it in the way: if I didn't like this, what are the things that I would tell somebody who doesn't like it? to maybe make them want to see it. Do I like it enough to make that recommendation? And I think I do. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's biggest obstacles to a general public audience is um, the mixing of Spanish and English in both dialogue and song, which I got all of it, but it was Kellyanne who was like, was it color that you didn't know that color meant heat? Yeah. I, like, I, And I hadn't thought of that mm-hmm. because I, you know, speaking Portuguese, I know what color means, but so when they're singing these songs and, and having talked with neighbors and friends, I know a lot of these things in the gist uh, of of what they're talking about in the context. So I was I, I that was when when you said that I was like oh I bet that maybe people don't know what some of these words mean that would give it the additional context and flavor and and what make it so good you know when she's when she's laying there in the heat and singing about calor 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 well if you don't know what calor means you don't get that she's like really hot. <laughs> And you laying there the in a blackout, think, oh, in a blackout. But you know, yeah. yeah. But, but, so there's little things like that. Paciencia y fe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was obvious to me. And it's a saying that you hear all the time. 
And, you know, I like that. That's one of the charming things I've always thought about Latin Americans is just the kind of base faith that they have just built into them culturally and everything and, and generosity. And all those things were on display. So I liked that. And I was just trying to figure out how do I how do I get that onto people? So the Spanish-English mix would be one of the challenges that people might have going in. The fact that it's a musical. Um, I had a friend who loved the opening song from Bye Bye Birdie but hated movie musicals. <laughs> Like, I don't get it. What a random song to like. Well, it was the, the, the telephone song. The yeah. telephone song from Bye Bye Birdie. Like they watched it <laughs> a million times. That's the first place I ever saw it was they were watching a video of the Anne Margaret version at his house. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't like any other musicals. Wow. Like, you see this musical? I'm like, ah, that's stupid. And I watched Bye Bye Birdie's first song at your house. <laughs> but um, that for some people, just the idea of people singing about whatever, mm. they just can't get over that. They can't wow. see... They, they can't see past the singing. I I feel for them because it's really an expressive way. And if you could just say, look, okay, I would never go sing to a group of people about something. You can enjoy other people doing it without feeling like you have to do it too. <laughs> so, you know, getting over that obstacle uh, is I, – I can't convince somebody to see a musical that doesn't like musicals. Mm. But I will say this. If you go – it's got some real toe tapping numbers. It's got, you know, a great rhythm and feel to it, and and it's gorgeous looking. Gorgeous. I mean, that uh, the ninety six thousand song that they shot in the pool mm-hmm. in a public pool over two days. I looked this up. Five hundred extras in that scene, and I mean, there's swirling overhead camera shots, synchronized swimming. It's really cool. It makes you want to go swim in a public pool in really New York does. City, and just saying that out loud. <laughs> Sounds like nope. it should. It sounds like it's wrong, right? Or at least find a local synchronized swimming group to, to be a part of. So that's where I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I knew I was going to probably like it. It did make me enjoy the music more after I listened to it. After mm-hmm. I was a little bit sad that the song that I liked from listening to it beforehand wasn't in the movie, which was Inutil, which I really liked that song that Jimmy Smith would have sung had it been in the movie because it was his character that sang it. But they did work the gist of the song into some dialogue later on. Mm-hmm. So what he sings about, you learn. But I was sad because it's not a very long song and it's really melodic. And and I've listened to it like 50 times even since I saw the movie. It's like, oh, why couldn't this have been in there? Right? Yeah. 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 There's a couple of those, though. There's a couple mm-hmm. of times where songs are replaced by, you know, dialogue or by mm-hmm. an overall feel that you wouldn't necessarily get from the stage musical. And I, I was the same. Um, there's a couple of different songs where I was like, oh, but I really needed those to be there. Right. It, but <laughs> And I was kind of feeling that and kind of like pouty a bit. But then what's what's really great is they move those into monologues. And because it's a film, you're able to kind of zoom in on faces, do a little bit of different cutting and cinematography for it. So where some of the music might be missing or it's even shuffled around a bit um, in the story, you still are getting a lot of that emotional impressions and you get more depth of the character because of it. Um, I think my, my general impression of it is this is a gorgeous film. And I think one of my favorite aspects of it is... It wasn't just a straight, realistic play, but they mixed a lot of whimsy into it. Um, I know many of you have seen the trailers, and you can see the trailers, how there's um, definitely non-realistic things happening. People dancing on buildings. Um, right from the start, uh, Yusnavi's out on the street, and he gets his foot stuck in the gum. And, and as he clears it off and puts his foot back down, he actually does like the 
the record skip on um, the sewer grate that's there. So it's this really fun mix of wonderful cinematography, amazing dance, variety of color, exploration of characters and cultures that you might not be as familiar with. So it opens that empathetic window um, in the world, which I'm always talking about. Um, And it was it was a really great version. I think it's I think. Um, anyone who likes musicals is going to enjoy this, really. Um, and people who are maybe on the fence in musicals, you might want to do a little bit of research before going just so you can follow with, you know, there's that Spanish barrier, if that's something you're not familiar with. It's that fast-paced music barrier, if that's something you're not familiar with. But take a chance and go see it. Um, it's available. It's coming to the theaters. Um, and it's also coming to uh, HBO Max. So, I would suggest with how big and glorious it is, probably go see it in the theaters or a very big screen if you want to watch it from home because it is a, it's a bit of a long film. Um, it is rated PG-13 for some language, some suggested references. So if that's something you're uncomfortable with, you want to kind of look a little deeper, see if that's something you would want to do. Um, but I just – it was so beautiful. And there were so many wonderful things to to like about it. And I liked that you got more of a look into these characters and side characters than you normally would see on the film. I cannot wait till Lin-Manuel's out there doing interviews. There's books coming out talking about developing these characters the way they, they did in the film. And I think the thing I liked the most is it wasn't just a few lead characters, but you really got entrenched in the story of that, that whole neighborhood. Um, um Bobby, what was some of your favorite favorite parts of the adaptation? Sure. I think I'd go along with that whimsical vibe that you were talking yes. about. Um, there's a moment where they're walking to the swimming pool just before 96,000 is starting. And the, in the Heights show, they go into it a little heavier in the musical, is all based on this kind of hip-hop, like sitting out on the stoop of their you know homes or whatever, just rapping together and mm-hmm. having fun. And there's references to it in the lyrics and a few other things. But they're essentially walking down the street and they're doing this rap battle and kind of just back and forth, you know, freestyle rapping. And there's this animation thing that kind of happens over Mm -hmm. top of the rap battle. And it's really interesting because it helps give you some of the dialogue and some of the past and some of the interest that you wouldn't necessarily have from these characters. And it's just a lot of fun. I think director John Chu is known for things like this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of this like look into the character's mind's eye and how they envision things around them based on, you know, how they're feeling or their past or things like that. I think that was my absolute favorite part was just some (laughs) of those times where we kind of departed from reality really to dive into what the character was feeling or thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you where we dive into the characters on the stage version. you, You couldn't do it in this way. Well. My, if I had a complaint personally, as I thought it kind of dragged a little bit at the three quarters mark right after Carnival del Barrio, it, it kind of like that was a huge energetic number. And then it was pff, kind of flat. And then, you know, they did a couple of the, the you know, a little more intimate. You have Champagne, the song, and then um, and, and it got its mojo back towards the very, very end. But I did notice like as I was watching, it, I was like, wow, it feels like really flat right now. Uh and I don't know, I don't know if in the stage version there was they did reorder some of the events, yeah, so maybe yeah. that changed the pacing that that would feel different in the theater. Uh, when we talk about deep dives, we'll talk about what some of the things they moved around were, uh, because one of them is a pretty big plot point. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I mean, but that's like a minor complaint. I'm glad it got its mojo back because I was having a great time for three quarters of it, and then it was kind of I kind of lost the energy and. And was curious how they were going to wrap everything up because, in a way, honestly, the the energy and the type of the song that they had, the Carnival de Barrio, would would have been a great show finale kind of a thing. You know, just they're celebrating everything. 
Yeah, yeah, I can, I can definitely see see that a bit. And I, I think as well for me, there were some little times where there was lows in energy and it, it is a, a longer film. Um, and I, I think like the most nitpicky stuff I can maybe pull apart is maybe I didn't feel as strong of a, an attachment to some of those characters that I would Well, there's have. a lot of people yeah. to keep track of, especially yeah. if you don't already know the story. This is the This is the conundrum of Broadway. Yeah. You don't go to Broadway shows to see them one time. Like, mm-hmm. that's why that's why the, the saying, the play's the thing, it's what it comes from. It, you're not going because, oh, I don't know what this story's about. You're going because you know the story inside out, side upside down, <laughs> and you want to see it portrayed again. Like That's why you get the soundtrack. That's why you're watching the exactly. Amer- what is it, American experience on it. <laughs> so it's, it's funny in some ways that we're like, okay, let's avoid spoilers because, I mean... <laughs> Plays generally, there's not a lot of like, oh, I never saw that coming kind of moments just because everybody's seen him so many times already. (laughs) And so, you know, with movies, we've done it a different way and they keep everything under wraps so that the whole public can enjoy it all at the same time. But that's also because a movie, people can go in 5,000 cities, 5,000 at a time to Mm 5,000 theaters. And so you can you can display it to everybody at the same time. But with a play. You can show 300 people or 500 people at a time once a day, and it's the maybe twice that, a day. Yeah, and so yeah. it's like, well, you should go see this. Well, why? Oh, if there's this and there's this. I mean, it's back in the day. I remember somebody described to me the entire movie of Back to the Future when I was like 10 before I got into the theater. Uh-huh. And, and I had pictured it a completely different way. From their description to what I saw on the screen. I mean, it all played out. Exa- it was after like Clock Tower. I was imagining Big Ben. Okay, so when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's like a building with a clock. So the fact that they were spoiling all that for me didn't ruin my enjoyment of Back to the Future. It made it better because what he described was terrible. Like, not my imagination wasn't matching his descriptions of what it was. So when I actually saw it, I was, oh, this is so much cooler looking and. Yeah, I guess what he said is technically correct, but it, it felt way different watching it happen. And, and that's kind of what it is. Like, you get excited. Oh, In the Heights, it's got all this. And they're all hearing it out of context. Like, listening to the soundtrack a little bit out of context. It sounds pretty good. It's got a nice beat. But I don't know why they're singing this particular song. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know how. It, that, Wicked was a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody likes Loathing. Uh, or yeah, that's lo- isn't that what it's called? Yeah, yeah loathing. I was gonna say it's what is this feeling or loathing? I don't remember which the name I of the song was. But there's that one. Uh, you know, dancing through life was just this interminably long song until I saw it, and then I was like, oh, this is actually really good <laughs> because all these characters are popping in. That if you ha- if you're only listening to the soundtrack, you don't know who the girl in the wheelchair is, and uh, so it, it's that that just it's you don't have the context. So we see this. Then we get the context. Then we're like, okay, let's see it again. And then we watch it again and again and again. Oh, yeah. I, I if it's good, you want to again. watch it again and again mm-hmm. and again. And that's and that's on purpose. So the challenge for me is to get people to get over that initial barrier and then see if they like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, to me, though, the thing that I like best, and, and I wrote this down so I could get it exactly right, <laughs> uh, it does a great job of telling some of the stories of people who can often be marginalized in American society Everybody, it doesn't matter where you are, can relate to the frustrations, the fears, and the joys that these characters feel as they dream and hope and sing 
even though maybe you don't sing, about a better life. It, well, you might. Uh, you might, Bobby. We, we're good. <laughs> and Kellyanne definitely would. And I would in my mind and maybe in the shower, but not in front of people. I have a of you singing Mulan, so. Did I? Mm-hmm. It's, I think I sang on TV once, too, just kind of goofing around, I mean, like, really fast. <laughs> and I think I hit it on pitch pretty well. But but with all of that, like, um, it, you know, there, there's mention of DACA and some of the characters mm-hmm. intend an immigration rally. And but I didn't find, like, and I was trying to be extra sensitive to that, knowing that a lot of the viewers where I watch have, you know, inclinations maybe in that direction or frustrations with immigration policies, but for a different reason that the characters in In the Heights have frustrations with immigration policies. But I didn't find the movie to be in your face with Mm -hmm. any political message. I really didn't. And I was trying to be extra sensitive to that. But what it does have is moments of genuine humor, emotion, and then that soundtrack that'll just get you going. I do not dance and I will not I believe I've been married for 20 years because I haven't danced with my wife. I'm telling you, I two years in a row on Valentine's Day, I took dance lessons and went dancing with a girl, and they broke up with me within the week. <laughs> two consecutive and years. And you're admitting this to us. Wow. And I said, and then I, then I dated my wife right after the second one broke up with me, started dating my wife, and I was like, I'm not taking a chance. We're not dancing at our wedding. I'm not sitting this off on the wrong foot. So I might dance with my daughters at their weddings, maybe. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit facetious. But that did happen two years in a row, and so that's been the running joke is I'm not taking a chance with my wife. 20 years now, no dancing, still going. I guess the power of dance works both ways. But <laughs> if I did, this would make me want to dance. You know, they, they've got the they've got the samba, the salsa, all those all those beats, the Latin American beats. They they really do that well. Funny enough, there's a dance club number mm-hmm. that is no more or less frenetic or dancey than the stuff that happens outside the club. But because that's just Latin music, it, it's got that that's that feel energy. and flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was awesome. They mixed a ton of dancing into there. And, you know, it wasn't even perfect dancing all the time, And it, but that added to the energy of it and the variety of it. It was – I really, really enjoyed that. I think that's some of my, my favorite stuff is is that choreography. And like you like you said, learning a little bit more about these, these people without it being too preachy as well, which um, – Well, and it could have. And it had every it right have, yeah. to. I mean, yeah. they're the ones telling the story. If that's how they felt, they could have mm-hmm. gone – in a much more you know political mm-hmm. in your face sort of sort of way it was less because preachy. if you feel if you feel that way yeah. and and culturally and we're in a place culturally where that kind of uh, of a sentiment gets a bigger audience and microphone than it used to 10 mm-hmm. or 15 years ago so if they had just decided to you know shove the message in the face they would have been justified the story certainly justifies that especially you know what uh, the the story arc or what happens to the character sunny mm-hmm. but but I thought that they did a pretty good job of, of acknowledging that it's there, but trying to focus more on the positive and the joys. Yeah, it wasn't a preachy. It was a it was a personal. Um, and yeah. It was, yeah, and it, and it was more people's whole story, their joy and their trials and their It was trials. the little things that I liked. Yeah. Is, yeah. There, is there anything we missed for kind of this um, spoiler-free segment before we No, because I'm afraid if some of the stuff, stuff I want to bring up might end up digging into spoiler territory. And so. I'm the same thing. I've had to bite my, to- bite my tongue so many times. That's me too, definitely. <laughs> All right, so let's stop biting our tongues. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll deep dive into uh, In the Heights. Yes. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. singing that <laughs> all but right there's everybody. no words but da, 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 you heard me yesterday okay. <laughs> we were recording something and i didn't have the, the the sounds up so i was singing it as we were doing it <laughs> welcome back to fan effect i'm your host today kellyanne with andy farnsworth and we have our special guest from hill center theater bobby gibson welcome back <laughs> we're actually talking about an awesome show broadway show in the heights that's now a film adaption and i'm so excited our first segment we tried to be spoiler free <laughs> and we, this tried. Seg- we tried <laughs> i thought we did all right <laughs> but this segment we get to actually deep dive into this film which i'm so excited about um because it was just so much fun all right so if you haven't seen the show yet take a pause right now go see the show Come back and join our discussion. Or, as we pointed out in the last segment, mm. it doesn't matter if we spoil this for you. Oh, that's right. Because you're going to, I mean, ideally, this is a show you'll want to see again and again. So <laughs> I, I didn't see anything that was like, I, I mean, there wasn't anything I didn't see coming to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anything shocking. And even if you've listened to the soundtrack and you don't get all the context, you know, the songs kind of tell you some of the things that have happened. So mm-hmm. if if you haven't seen it and we've convinced you to go see it already, then stop here. <laughs> but if, you know, if it doesn't matter so I, or if I'm you gonna... don't care, I, I just, I mean, there's one, okay, this is the spoiler. I think really about the only spoiler there is, is, is uh, Abella Cla- uh, Claudia's death. I mean, that's about it. And then it's but her you... that won the ticket. Oh, the, and they actually obscure that a lot more in the movie than they do in the play, which I found oh, out after outright. the fact. It's outright. Yeah, they absolutely do. In in the mm-hmm. show, that's one of the biggest changes for me. They absolutely changed the way that the whole, you know, 96,000 mm-hmm. lottery is won. Yeah, everybody's singing they about it like I might earlier, win. And it's instead of what do I do, do I go or stay? It's what do I do with this winning ticket? I'm glad that you sang that because I, <laughs> now I don't have to. <laughs> That's true. Whereas in the movie, she's singing about should I should I keep fighting for my life or should I just should I just move on? And during the podcast, I like that. I thought it. I thought that was a kind of a very poetic. I mean, she's she's dying of heat stroke or or of heat exhaustion or whatever, and and, and age, and she's like, I've I've lived through the freezing winters of New York. I lived through you know the, the line in the song where she's like, you know, in New York there's work and it's like terrible work and i got to go to all these parties as the help yeah like it's very very specific that like i but i got to see it in her 
her sempre paciencia y fe, patience and faith perspective. She's like, I got to see these cool parts of society. It doesn't matter that I was there to clean up their mess. I still got to see it. I got to be there for part of it. And and you know, she's like, in New York, there was work, and you know, it was it was nicer in Col- in uh, in, Cuba. in Cuba, but there was no food in Havana, mm-hmm. and. You know, that's the choice that they made. We can come be people's servants here. or We can starve to death here. And well, for, that, for Claudia's mother, there was no question. Well, and there's no there. – there is a big difference with the, the um, lottery tickets there because having it revealed earlier in the show um, – uh, first of all, it's at the end is uh, patience and faith. Um, I'm terrible at pretending to speak Spanish. I won't even try. <laughs> um, that's when she's, what do I do with this winning ticket? And if you're seeing it in the theater and you're with people who don't know it, the the, the stage version of it, you can hear an audible gasp in the audience because you're like, oh, my gosh, she got it. And it actually changes quite a bit Yusnavi's storyline because in the play, yeah, he wants to go back to the Dominican Republican, but he couldn't republic, but he couldn't afford it. So in the movie, he's actually worked hard and long enough to get his goal anyway. In the show, the reason he can afford to do his dream is because of the lottery ticket, and it, all, and it changes his story. So I, I think I'd argue – a bit different with you. Right, but he wanted to take Sonny and uh, Abuela with him. They were going to go. Like, Sonny, we're taking you with us is, is a part of the, the line in the show when Sonny, in the musical when Sonny gets gets upset. So I, I would disagree that spoilers, there's not much you can spoil from the fir- fir- film versus versus the movie. <laughs> well, no, I just mean like that that she won. In, in the play, that. they don't make That's any cool. secret of it. So. It, it, it's technically a spoiler, I guess, mm. but only because of the way they've laid out the film mm-hmm. uh, in trying to keep that hidden because they specifically ask Usnavi, the kids that are listening to the story, um, they ask him, well, who won it? He's like, well, nobody turned it in. And so that so sounded like nobody like, ever redeemed it. So the, the 96,000 was when they're all singing about it and they're, oh, I don't win nothing. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was just everybody realizing they didn't win because that's what lottery is. Oh. Nobody ever wins. So you buy it, you get your hopes up, and then you look at the winning number and it's not you. So I thought up until I found out that I kind of figured somebody had won it. But, <laughs> sure. but it they was set so it late up so in the well. show they actually did that. Yeah, that's one thing I thought was strange is that they set it up so early on and you feel like that payoff would come a little sooner or something like that, especially if you're familiar with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do also really enjoy like the overall vibe and feel that it um, in the show that it gets when Abuela knows that she's won. Mm-hmm. And she kind of gets this moment where she gets to look back on her life and decide what she's going to do with it. And I did miss some of that from her story arc itself. And it, mm-hmm. you, like you said, it changes Usnavi's arc as well but ultimately i think the changes it just kept me anticipating like mm-hmm. some of those slower moments i kept going but there's still a lottery ticket that we don't know who won right and i think having in in the stage version you don't have kids listening to the story it's not something like that it's just well that okay that's a potential spoiler too uh-huh. because <laughs> he ain't on the beach well and which I, th- <laughs> I thought he was and so, and I thought that was interesting. Then I was trying to figure out, it doesn't sound like he's going to go. I mean, right? I, I had the same thing like, what is going on here? But we already have set up that whimsy and fantasy element in it. But having those those children in place, but Anthony Ramos liked story, that he got to film on the beach. Oh, I want to film on a beach. I don't care. That it wasn't all just up in the sweaty Washington Heights, <laughs> New York. He actually got to go to the Caribbean and shoot some beach scenes. But I think having him tell the narration to the, the children um, was great. As you also, So we had the people already knew the story that was watching it. And it added a little bit of mystery to the because the way they told it to the children, like, oh, this is going to be slightly different. The new people who weren't familiar with the story had a little bit 
it there. Um, so it was more of a, a narration. And, you know, Bobby, you've seen Lin-Manuel Miranda do the part. He's the best. <laughs> what, what do you think about the way they, they changed their narration and how Anthony Ramos took, took that role on? Sure. I thought it was very interesting. I really liked the... In hindsight, after thinking about the film, mm-hmm. I really liked the children being the pre- the people who's telling the story too. I think there's something about hope, or there's something about this continuance of the story and this kind of future, this very elementary idea that comes from you know, like you would gather around and listen to your grandpa tell a story or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> is the line "say the name" so that it's not forgotten? Is that in the play too, or is that just in um, the movie? I don't remember that don't in the show as much. Yeah. I don't have any because I thought that was a pretty poignant thing. Yeah, I thought that especially was really when you thought they were in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and I love the the things that they have around them it also references um his shop or this bar that he's looking to go and start you know and i thought that was really interesting the way that they changed that and reveal that they're you know where they actually are in the mm-hmm. end and things like that that he's actually on his island which is manhattan um the whole time i thought that was very interesting and they kind of weave in that story with vanessa as well of her, you know her clothing mm-hmm. and that's it's something not, it's else not in the musical yeah that's something else i don't think we referenced before but i loved the backstory of vanessa's you know her dream and where she wants to go and you know she wants to move downtown but why and mm-hmm. i think in the show we don't necessarily get as much of that and i loved that their worlds kind of merge and you know come together in the end see i think vanessa's was the weakest of all those those stories of the background ones which kind of made me a little bit sad in the the final scene uh, that she was more of a focus than abuela was in in the musical because in andy you haven't seen the musical um that last reveal of the the store and it's not vanessa's clothing because that's not a part of it they pull down the grate and graffiti pete has um I got chills. <laughs> Has um, a, a mural of Abuela. Uh, oh, that's Claudia, really cool. And it says Pensencia Faith, and that's when he goes, uh, what, it's, what's the specific line? I can't remember which part. Reference again. <laughs> um, the very end when the very he pulled end down the, the grate. comes down, and I can hear the <laughs> Yeah, and he's talking about there that. There goes my um, flight. There goes my flight, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he's like, I had to stay. And then you get mm-hmm. more of the energy of the... Um, Fiesta at that point. So more of the, the actors come out, people on the street coming together. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, so that that was definitely something that that was a little more present in the musical verses. And I do like the the say my name part. That was that was really cool. And there was other lines and focuses you don't get in the stage production that I think since it was started in 2008, we focused more on, on individuals, so they were able to bring that in. Um, I think so, too. Asserting your dignity in small ways. Yeah, yeah that I was. Thought that I thought was that was one of the cool things was just like, why would she put so much effort into just hand-sewing these little towels? Mm-hmm. And it was because – and that to me, that's like a, a defining trait. It's the kind of trait that I w- hope my own children have. Is the is the ability to and and I've never looked at it as a, as a thing of asserting a dignity in small ways. I've looked at it as if you're going to do something, why not do it really well? Mm-hmm. But when you juxtapose that with Abella Claudia growing up, his mom was was essentially a maid, mm-hmm. um, and, and I guess the probably that's what Claudia did earlier in her life. Um, just saying, look, I, I realize this is what I have to do to survive. But I can still, you know, I can still have dignity. I can still mm-hmm. do this little thing. Like it was interesting, the the scene with the dry cleaner, uh, that was actually a modern addition to illustrate microaggressions mm-hmm. and how, you know, he's like, wow, this is beautiful. Uh, do you want to sell it? No. Okay. Well, it'll cost you $150 to get these 
what handkerchiefs was it, like dry clean. Six of them or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, and that, but that's not even with the rush. Like, yeah. And 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 the moment where she's like, I I can't do that. Like, it's I'm not going to be able to get these cleaned. And and the sadness that she feels at, you know, feeling helpless again. But you find out she went back and did it at the end because when Nina unwraps it, it's wrapped in the dry cleaning papers yeah, it's, and it's perfectly It's setting up done. that ending moment, yeah. So And and that goes back to how much our the people who come before us um, and our traditions set us up for a better and brighter life and how beautiful and wonderful that was. Well, that was, was Nina's mom who supposedly did those, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing that was yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that's a pretty big change, that yeah, one. Huge well, change. Bob knows, I mean, Bobby knows the change there. Really. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting to me that the um, Nina's mom was not in the show mm-hmm. at all. Camilla. Mm-hmm. And Camilla was no longer a part of the story at all. And it's so funny, the first time I realized it, I kind of thought for a second, Wait, this is her part of this song, right? And know? it's in the in the Heights of opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a couple other moments where you miss her, and mm-hmm. she's got a full song that's hers in the stage musical that's not present. Um, I did think there, I, you could see the why part, there's choices. Uh, and- mm-hmm. The part with the uh, that I noticed in listening to the soundtrack after, because I think my cousin pointed out he went. Did some reading on Wikipedia after we saw the uh-huh. the movie. He's like, apparently Nina's mom was still alive in the musical. Yeah. I was like, oh. And then as I listened again, there's a there's a great song where she um, she chews out Jimmy Smith's character it's enough the, about the like, Kevin. hey, we don't do these things without consulting each other. Yep. And that's a, that. As I heard that, I was like, darn, that is a pretty cool thing that would have been. I don't know how they would have fit it in exactly, but yep. it would have been nice to have that. And I did miss that confrontation because it forces Nina and uh, the father of Kevin Rosario to realize that they are so much alike. Yeah, well, I think, I, I think the they softened Kevin. Yeah. I, and because we don't hear so much. I mean, we hear that his dad wasn't great, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more overt. You know, in, in, in Util, when he talks about, I he's like, I song. said, I'm going to mm-hmm. do something else. And he slapped me in the face. Mm-hmm. And then later, Vanessa's mom, what was her name? I never learned it. Vanessa's mom? Not Vanessa. Um, Nina's mom? Nina's mom. Oh, Camilla. I was like, I did Camilla. not know oh. Vanessa's mom. <laughs> I like, Camilla. Yeah, Vanessa's and mom. Camilla's like, look, we know your dad was a jerk, okay? You're not him. You don't have to be him. Mm-hmm. And and those, you know, the, by leaving that out, you can you can make Jimmy Smith's a little more sympathetic. Yeah. And, you know, he, he kind of asserts that dominance at the dinner yeah, when he was, gets angry about, when he gets angry about, like, I can sell the business if I want to. That's where I thought Inuta was missing was like the song, yeah. that part where he's like, I will not be the reason that my family can't yeah, succeed. I really wanted that there as well. But I mean, we do get some of that earlier and in that diner scene where mm-hmm. they first meet when Nina first gets home. And we do get some of that background story. But you're right. I really missed that part of the, the father's arc and really mm-hmm. understanding like he wants to give her more than he ever could himself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think as if I'm looking at the writers sitting there and trying to figure out how to make turn this into a film and hit these different points. We already had Usnavi, who was an orphan. Um, and I think they wanted to explore a single parent angle as well. And so that's why they had, um, they, well, good, they decided to do that. I hadn't thought of that. And I, I really think that's why, because we have all these different people coming together from different backgrounds of, of Latino culture coming together and forming their own families from, from Cuba, from Dominican Republic, from Puerto Rico, um, all over the place. They come together and form a family. So I think they wanted to explore that dynamic. DRPR, we are. Oh, that was really fun. That was just happening in my head, too. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I also really respect that because it also gives Nina, as well as Usnavi, even Sunny, pretty much all of mm-hmm. them, they talk about Abuela not being their actual Abuela, mm-hmm. but kind of the neighborhood's Abuela. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that that's so neat as well that they kind of paint this picture. And they come together for that dinner. 
dinner and they're eating oh, and you can just tell that this is family for them and this mm-hmm. is you know what Sunday night looks like for them or oh, whatever. It's so that great. was one of the genuine moments. I've been to dinners like that. Like I loved it. That's, so many, right? It made me really you know kind of homesick for for living abroad mm. and. Um, <laughs> You know, just little things, the decorations in the apartment, the games, the way they interacted like that. We're three of the whitest people. All right. Let's just acknowledge that right now. We are three of the whitest people that exist. Okay. We got a redheaded white guy, a really blonde white guy and Kellyanne with brown hair. I mean, we are not... If we have Latin blood in us, it is very, very... I, I do so, want to say, I spent so, the first part of my life in Southern California and a chunk in Toronto in a very diverse area. So I, I love But I'm just saying, like, I'm acknowledging right here yeah, that yeah. Latin Americans might listen to this and just laugh at, <laughs> at whatever. I, I acknowledge that. 100%. But I'm also ho- trying to appreciate it because there were things that I did appreciate about it living there. I lived in a city where I was like the only really white guy for <laughs> miles to where some of the kids would look at me and they'd never seen hair as yellow as mine, especially back when I was, you know, nineteen twenty. It was really yellow out in the sun right next to the Atlantic Ocean yes. every day. Um, and, you know, I got my hair cut in the street one time and everybody gathered around to watch it. Yeah. And wow. so I, I do. Ha- I, I'm not Latin, but I do have some experience in the culture. I'm not claiming to be an expert, mm-hmm. but. Of my experience, everything I saw felt um, genuine. And reading the comments, if if you go onto the uh, the official trailer on YouTube uh-huh. and go through the comments that people made after it, you know, uh, one of the ones that jumped out to me was, um, "It's really nice to see my people not depicted as the bad guy or the drug dealer." And that's what's so beautiful, honestly. I mean, that's what In the Heights is for me. Um, what, I had a really good friend introduce me to the show just before the Tonys, the year that it won the Tony. And I, I kind of was like, I don't know where this fits. You know, <laughs> I was just starting to get into musicals. And I remember listening to the music and I could not turn it off. Like, I was that person when people describe like Rent or Wicked or whatever, when they listen to it constantly forever. That was In the Heights for me in a lot of ways. And so to some degree, that's one of the reasons why I truly recommend this show or this movie is because it gives you that view into this culture that Mm -hmm. maybe you don't have. Or if you do have, it can be a walk down memory lane or it can be, you know, something beautiful for you. But I love this melting pot idea of this neighborhood. And I loved that it took me completely out of my bubble and forced me into this other place to really understand. And I loved it. I love the story. Does well and more than just a story, more than just a narrative. Um, it's almost impossible to do music without there being some kind of undercurrent of hope and joy. I mean, yes, you can write depressing music, and yes, you can write. I saw Macbeth the opera, and it was the worst two hours of my life. Oh, wow, wow, it was horrible. I'd say I, I've only been to two operas in my life. They were my senior year of high school. We went to the Magic Flute in the spring at the Capitol Theater in Salt Lake City. It was hilarious. It was fun. Yeah, and then I went to Macbeth and I was just like, <laughs> I'm not even sure I can finish this. It was dark and moody and I there was no humor in it at all. Yeah, that's quite a contrast. And so, I mean, it's possible to do music, but but I don't think any maybe I, what I should say is it's impossible to do Latin American music without a current of joy it's just that's just it's 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 lifeblood it's it's what it is and even the sadder ones it, it still has this moment of of kind of spirituality and connection and love yeah, alabanza is yeah, a great Alabanza's song a, i cry every time i hear that i don't know half of what the spanish is saying i don't even know I, they had to explain <gasps> alabanza to me but it's beautiful and no it's but they do in the movie yeah. they yeah. explain what it is but i that's a word i didn't know 
Yeah, and it's beautiful though, uh, and it, you feel it, and it's almost kind of the only hindsight and the feeling that you can get from like this beautiful life that's lived, and they're celebrating this person. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, few times has a song captured such a beautiful emotion mm-hmm. so simply. Mm-hmm. Well, and I and it was interesting how they rearranged that. They rearranged it so we went straight from Pesense Efe to you know the death of of uh, Abuela and then it was a alabanza and that that's a different order we actually skipped a song in in there as well between the death and it made it so impactful um cuz there wasn't that stall Well but I like that she the, died the like in the blackout just she watched them all together yeah, like she wasn't it, alone her in last eye her last view was everybody finding a way to get along in the blackout and so she kind of I mean in a way she died looking at all her children and being okay. And that's why I thought yeah. the song worked really well, where she's like, I saw this. Okay, mama, I know I can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was really beautiful, the way that they did that. And like you said, making peace in the blackout was just wonderful to be able to change that story. In the show, the blackout part is the part that lags for me just yeah. slightly. And in the in this um, movie, that's the part that I just found all that hope and that interest. Mm-hmm. And the moment where he, they find Abuela and they're talking about the things that she loved that most people ignore, they really start to really broaden those strokes of who mm-hmm. she is as a character. And in the- and she's the only one other than Lin-Manuel that was her character on stage and in the movie. Yes. Olga Meridi. Merid- Meredith, I don't know how to say amazing. it. Amazing. She needs give her all the awards. Uh, it was beautiful and touching. Her struggle to stay or to go is, is kind of what they, they changed it as. Her kindness, closeness with the characters, you know, even the, the little contemplative looks, which I, I love it when a stage actress can flow so well into the emotions of a film. It's not over the top, it's just beautiful and wonderful. And that. My favorite scene is the pa- uh, is the patience and face in the subway and how they they did that and the 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 lighting the switch of regular people into the the Colombian outfits and then the 1940s outfits it was just beautifully beautiful yeah that done. was cool um, where it looks like she's on a subway yeah yeah and, and then there's that moment where like it all comes together and she's holding the pole in the subway again it's that it's shaft of light or whatever of yeah. It's beautiful. Very artistic. And, and it did. It added, it added hope into that blackout. Because in the show, in the Broadway show, it there's not as much hope in the blackout. Instead of lighting up the night with fireworks to like um, to brighten the light, it's more of to chase off rioters and looters. And everyone's afraid as they leave the, to lose people in, in the chaos of the, the city as they leave the um, the club. And instead, in the, in the movie, it's more of a hopeful community thing, which I, I thought was a really powerful way to – to shift that narrative as well to more of a celebration of the culture than some of the some that could be construed as as a negative and within there. So, I wonder what Lin Manuel Miranda thought because you know he wrote the original musical mm-hmm. and the, wrote the plot and everything like that. And I, I, I'm assuming it's based on some of his own experiences. I, I assume uh, living in New York City. I don't know if he lived in Washington Heights when he was growing up. I, yeah. I was trying to find that information. I couldn't find that, um, but. I wonder as he watched John Chu uh, t- do his you know, take on it and, and make the changes that he made, if there was any parts where he was like, dang, that might be better than, like, than what I wrote. Like, <laughs> I, I wonder because it was that. a chance to, yeah. to, to, to build on it or if, he, if he, he understood why it had to be done. I mean, you, you can't do a three-hour musical with an intermission in the movies. Like it's just – which we say after sitting through Avengers Endgame for two hours and 45 minutes, but, but, you know, but 15 minutes, (laughs) but the idea is like, you got to make cuts somewhere. They still had to cut songs and change Mm -hmm. character arcs just to get it down to two hours and 23 minutes. Um, Wait, was it two hours and 23? Or was it two hours and 
Might have gotten one mixed up. I have so many. Uh, just so the listeners know, you'll you'll hear it, all the paper I have in front of me. because I, I wrote it down. down. Oh, it's two hours and 23, so that is yeah. correct. Um, but to get it down to just under an, two, hour, two and a half hours, you know, I'm sure that there was parts where he was like, oh, why do you got to cut that? See, now, yeah. I, I, I think Lynn is... He seems like such a chill and workable guy. Yeah. Well, right, but I wondered that, that that'd be does. nice to hear if if he says like, "Dang, that's actually mm-hmm. that actually works kind of better." That yeah. that really you, you you got the essence of what I was trying to say in a different way. Well, yeah, and- I love that idea. I was thinking about it afterwards because I I came away from the movie thinking, okay, there's a couple of parts I'm not sure I'm okay with, you mm-hmm. know, and you kind of process them and you think through, and then that's you go, why I'm glad I saw this first. Maybe that's better, you know, and that's kind of yeah, where I'm sitting yeah. at with that's it now. That's what the rearrangement with me. I'm Here's like, oh. what I'm like, okay. I suggest with movies and anything mm-hmm. with movies and what fill in the blank for the other thing unless it's an original screenplay watch the movie first because then when you get the original source material it's like a dvd with all the extras see I'm because in- then you can see like oh okay Be- because I, and i learned this when i i saw harry potter the first two harry potter movies before i read any of the books <gasps> gasp Blasphemy. and i went why well, <laughs> any rate I went to the movies and I was like, that was an awesome movie. That was so fun. And I walked out and there was all these people like, oh, they left this out. Oh, and there was this missing. And I was like, did you not watch the same movie I did? It was so fun. It was so good. Yeah, but but what about this? And I said, okay, I can't. I, I'm going to watch all these movies before I see. Like, I won't read the book. I'll read the book after I see the movie so that I can't. I don't come out of the movie disappointed at what wasn't there. I just enjoyed what was there. And then I get the bonus of, oh, look, there was even more story that I didn't know about. And I'm, I'm the exact opposite. I want to read the original story and the original whatever medium first because I want to know what the original writer writers wanted to have. And then I walk into the movie or the musical version of it, and I understand these are different writers. You change the medium. You're going to change the message. There's different constraints. But... You're going to widen the audience of whatever the core of the story was. That's exactly that's yeah. exactly how I so think that, about it. That's too. how I think about it. But so see, I, I'm... Jurassic Park was exactly the opposite. I hated the book mm-hmm. because I really liked the take on uh, the character on the played by um, Richard. Arr. Spared no expense. They never said that once in the book. <laughs> I love that. I agree that. with you on that one because I watched the I movie loved before Grandpa the book. Grandpa yeah. Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, I, I do the think that's true. Thing. Richard Harris. Is that who it was? No, it wasn't. I always get Richard Harris and this guy mixed up. Any rate, I love that. But in the book, he's a jerk all the way through, and he gets what Total he deserves. Jerk. He gets eaten by the dinosaurs. The, like, the little, the little dinosaurs that weren't even in the movie at all. The little comp segment. The yeah. But so I, I, I think generally, whatever you go first, you end up liking better, no matter what it is. But sure. I, I say, if there's two versions and one is shorter, watch the shorter version first, so that the longer version. <laughs> Has got bonus stuff, and you just don't feel like you got gypped out of something. I, I want to know what the original writers think first. That's that's mine. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely do. I always have to look at them as like two individual things. Yes, like yes. this can coexist as a show, and it can coexist as a film. Uh, that being said, as I've been thinking about the show, I keep thinking about you know the potential of this becoming a, a revival on Broadway, or like other people doing it around. Oh, yeah. And it makes me wonder what they'll change or adapt, or if they ever will do those things. If they'll you know run more with the film.
Um, I was listening to a podcast with John Chu, and he was talking about um, when he made Crazy Rich Asians about how he never wanted to work on a project ever again that he didn't connect with as much as he connected with that film. Mm-hmm. And just how cool it is to you know have this melting pot between his skill set and his ability to tell a story and then bringing in Lin-Manuel. So mm-hmm. I absolutely wonder what that conversation was with and you know what note cards got left on the floor and why and who won those battles. See, and that's the type of nerd I am. I'm not like a, a celebrity stalking nerd. I want to just – I want to be a fly in the wall of every writing room ever. Like – that's what I want to see is Well, it's funny, it too. Develops. When you look at some of the things that are the most popular, whether they be movies or things, and when you watch deleted scenes or when you when you read about the, the, the collaborative process writing, for me, Star Wars is the go-to because I know mm-hmm. the most about the behind-the-scenes stuff for that. But, you know, we as fans, and I include myself in this, we get so concerned with canon, you know, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, and yet... What is canon and what isn't canon sometimes was like an editor's choice mm-hmm. or like, crud, we got to chop one minute off. <laughs> so suddenly this is a whole different thing. And it wasn't like, but in our mind, it's always been like, this was always a story arc. Yep. Luke was always Darth Vader's son, which yep. he really wasn't until they really got digging into Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so what is canon and what isn't? It's a really, really thin margin. Absolutely. And so <laughs> things could have been so much different. Different casting could have been so much different. You know, so-and-so was actually, well, back to the future. Eric Stoltz had filmed a whole bunch of scenes. Eric Stoltz, if you've seen some kind of wonderful, he's the redheaded guy. I don't know if you know or whoever's listening doesn't know who he is. I can't think of any. There are scenes, and it's they've the destroyed one. most of them, but there are still a few deleted scenes you can find of Eric Stoltz's Marty McFly wearing the jacket, talking to Doc Brown, same dialogue, same shots, same everything. I can't but imagine it ain't it. Michael I J. Fox. Yeah, I'm gonna have to and find it's that. But so so weird. That is really mm-hmm. weird. But, but this- that's the difference between what's canon, what isn't canon, and and these things are just like razor thin. But like because you can have multiple people now adapting and changing the story, you have different viewpoints. So like we don't. We didn't know why we got focuses on different characters the way we did. I, I liked that Carla, the, the Beatty Show owner, had so much more of a story than in the stage version. Like it wasn't Well, even... she wasn't trying to move downtown in the stage no, version? No, not at all. Um, I think they referenced the moving, if I remember correctly, but it's a lot smaller arc. It's like barely referenced Did they mention it? Because I thought it was just her. That was, does it was she just start up the song now. Carnival del Barrio in uh, the play? Yeah, that's oh, always Oh, so she does song. do that. Okay. But like the whole, I don't think that, that part was even in it. And it was so much fun to see a strong, sassy female Latino character um, in that like age bracket and business savvy in, in the well, show. Well, it's so, funny like who, to see that, that character that's like, it's like two thirds of the Latino ladies that I know are like that. Like, <laughs> I don't know very many like passive Latina ladies. No. I really don't. <laughs> Most of them are strong, strong will. That's one of their great qualities. And but. how fun was that scene? The the minute the wigs did the, the switch into look over thing, oh, that yeah. was the moment like, okay, this might be one of my favorite films now. Like, this is going to be a fun film no matter where it goes. Yeah, just another one of those whimsical moments. And where... tap dancing with the nails. And I love that they wait. They like layered in a little bit. You see the whole shop like kind of react to it. And then at the last little bit is when they add that little whimsy. It's really <sighs> It's really fun. And so it was really great seeing these extra characters and everything like that. Um, what was your, your favorite song? I talked about mine being uh, Patience AFA. Um, what was your favorite, Bobby? Oh, my goodness. I think that's really hard to 
really hard to choose. I know. But, um, I think it's got to be um, when you're home, um, just with Benny, and they're just kind of walking throughout and just kind of telling the story. It kind of fills those in. And then, of course, 96,000. We referenced the film and the, the swimming pool and all the different things there, but there's just always going to be something lovely about that song. And I love the reference points of what everyone's going to do with their lotto winnings. I think mm. that's really interesting. Oh, so fun. How about you, Andy? What was your favorite musical number? Well, okay, so the song that I most connected with, like, on a level was Breathe, uh, which was really, really good. I remember being about that age and having kind of a similar, not, not I mean, I didn't get into Stanford, but I remember feeling <laughs> like, like, I, I think I'm out of, I think I'm out of place here. I'm not, uh, some people might think this, but I feel like I'm pretty ordinary. And that's how Carla is, or um, that's how um, Nina. Nina is feeling. She's, she's like, I'm, uh, you know, I was I, I was the big fish in the small pond out here and out there. I've been everything that I wasn't treated here. You know, when she tells the story, I mean, we don't know this but, in the song "Breathe," but when she tells the story about the roommate, um, not in the musical, not in the yeah, right. Stage. But totally I feel like that's a relevant thing now. Oh, like so she's good. at Stanford, she's a roommate with the girl, and then at that moment, she's still treated like she doesn't belong there. Like, would you have accused this of any other roommate other than me, who's from? Poor New York City. Such a great reference point, circling back to that breathe moment and really kind of proving all the things she's feeling. Right. And so, you know, just her struggle. How do I tell my parents? Because, you know, I know what they've sacrificed to get me there. I know what I sacrificed to get there, but I still don't feel like that's where I ought to be. And, you know, just that that age and that tug of war. So I, I did connect with that song. As far as the ones I enjoyed the most... Uh, you know, that first song, like, that's the one I listened to the most. You know, I listened to that even before I listened to the whole soundtrack. Like, it just, it's really catchy, and um, I, I still can't do the lyrics. Like, I've got, I can't, I can't do the rhythm of it. I can barely get through Lights Up on Washington Heights up at the break of dawn, and then I something about the bodega chase. Punk, I got to chase, chase away. away. Yeah, and I can never just get that rhythm down, but... Um, I really like the Carnival del Barrio song. So fun. It just gets so like feverish. And the, the song where they're singing like, you know, throw up the flags, the, the, the flag from Mexico, it. from, you know, and it just that, that rhythm of, the, the, you know, alza la bandera, la bandera dominicana. What are they saying in there? What are they saying? They're saying put up the flag. That's what they're Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that's what. And that's why you see them. They're dancing. Was. They like pull out the flag and they're dancing I'm around. So and, a celebration. And each one okay. like just goes really well. And I... That was the one that I've gone back to after watching it to listen to the most times was was that. But See, my favorite song is not even in it. You know I just loved Inutil. Oh, yes. It's I just wish it was back in. melodic and and it conveys so much. And now that I'm a parent, it connects with me in a way it wouldn't have connected with me. Absolutely. As a, you know, the way Breathe would have even when I was, you know, 22, 23. Yes. But... Well, but those were the songs that I liked the best. And, and the more I've listened to it, the more I've liked others, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the when Usnavi goes to the club with uh, with Vanessa and <laughs> having been the awkward guy like that, so like that when doesn't he's dance. <laughs> exactly. So like he's chit chattering about how, well, I never make it out here, you know, because the bodega keeps me so busy and all this stuff. And she's like, I just want to dance with you. And he's like. <laughs> Oh, you want to dance with this guy? Go ahead. No, it's all right. It's all right. Does the little revenge moment? <laughs> I don't know how bad the revenge moment in the just listening to the the, the track on the soundtrack. Um, the, the revenge moment isn't seems, out until the movie's out. I'm no, so mad. I'm listening to the Broadway cast soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that. what. Um, but the, the, it seems like the revenge thing was a bigger thing in the movie than maybe in the in the stage. Yeah. It was really funny in the movie. Yes, and he realizes, okay, I'm in over my head with this girl too. 
Definitely. Well, and I want to, yet again, we're visiting a new take, so we're all so sad about that. One of the things that made me sad about losing that is when you look at the film version of Into the Woods, they pulled the father's story out of it. like Into the Woods, the movie. See, and... And that's the, the first version I've seen of it, and I just didn't really like it. See, in the stage version, you the narrator narrator actually turns out to be the baker's father, and there's this oh, beautiful... Oh, great. Spoiler, Kellyanne. <laughs> if you haven't seen Into the Woods... I think people are listening <laughs> Honestly, to I don't remember enough <laughs> of the segment. story. I just remember, like, <laughs> this is a movie that has Meryl Streep in it, and this is not enjoyable. And Chris Pine is a bad guy or something, <laughs> and yes. this beautiful girl gets murdered what in the world it. is happening in this but back to describing pulled... those though like back to describing films on like a couple of sentences try describing that one <laughs> right, I can't, I can't. but they took I'm, they took out the father i'm still not even sure what happened i watched the whole thing they because the baker's father had abandoned him so there's a whole song about him wanting to be a good father to his child so he wasn't gonna abandon doesn't he the murder his Tom? child no i feel like that happened somewhere in there i don't no, know you there was a big old mess up. You so the father song was removed from Into the Woods um, so much so that's what my dad mentioned going in. He's like, I hope they don't remove some of these things and like they did with Into the Woods. We walk into this and they removed Anute, the father heartfelt song that is in the I show. I kept waiting for, for it. Yeah, <laughs> I did yeah. too, and I kept thinking like, okay, this is finally going to be it. It's going to be it, and then it wasn't. The one thing I will say is though, is we did get a lot more look into how things are going when he's looking at selling the shop. And yeah. He goes and meets with that other business owner and some of that other backstory. And mm-hmm. they talk about um, Abuela has a line in the film where she talks about you know him starting out with those. I think he says like two maroon Cadillacs or whatever right? it was yeah. his first cars. So we did get some of it back in the dialogue, but there's just something so heartfelt about that song where I just kind of hung my head when I realized it wasn't right? there. And even the monologue, I like that he had that conversation with Benny you know I never finished high school and things like that so you got more of that development between those two characters there wasn't a, so when we're talking changes I do have a question mm-hmm. it seems like in the Broadway soundtrack um, Rosario the father what's his Kevin mm-hmm. did not like Benny no yeah. but in the movie there didn't seem to be that that same disconnect other than Benny feels betrayed when he sells the business. Yeah. They didn't really develop that at all, but there is that moment where Benny opens the shop in the blackout and they're like working together for a second. Yeah, That's not in the musical. Yeah. That's that's not in the musical, but I thought it was kind of odd because they're already working together in the musical. Yeah. It kind of solves a problem from the musical in the film, which Mm -hmm. was kind of odd, but also fun. And like in the, in the show there, you feel like there's more, he's more of an outsider as, you know, not part of the Latino community because, you know, he's, he's a, as a black man, we don't, we don't know his full background. That's there. the other thing that mm-hmm. I just musically miss so much is that little beginning of the song where she's teaching him to speak Spanish. Right, Sunrise? I, I've always loved that first part of Sunrise and that little <gasps> bit as well. So. But can we talk about when sun goes down? Oh, wait. Yes. She doesn't teach him Spanish in the movie? Uh, oh, okay. They kind of removed that and they focused of the Sunrise song and they focused instead But remember, on Sunrise sundown. is where I was starting to drag. Yeah. And then they so, dance on the side of the Yeah, and that was really there. cool. <laughs> and the kid in the window is looking at it like, what? That slide down part at the end, too, where the song kind of comes to a halt. It's oh, perfect. Oh, it's beautiful. That's probably the most beautiful dance of the show um, is is probably that one. Cause the, the, it, and, like, they must have done that practically, too. Like, they must have tilted the, the set or something. Yeah, I wonder. I'm excited to see the behind the scenes on I'm that and how it all worked. so excited about that. So I have some questions for you yes, guys because yes, I yes, haven't yes. seen the play and you have. So the questions that I have are, what did you think of the movie actors versus the stage actors? Now, 
Usnave, obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda said he felt like he was too old to play Usnave in the film version. He wouldn't have been in 2008, but now it's 2020. Um, So that makes sense. And then he becomes the Piragua guy. And then, whether you noticed it or not, Chris Jackson was um, Mr. Mr. Softy. Which I loved. And he was the original Benny. Benny. Mm -hmm. Yes, original Benny. And, you know, of course, most people will say, I had to point out to my cousin, that's George Washington. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because... And, and I would know him from Bull. I actually saw him on Bull, the, the TV yeah, show, Absolutely. before I saw him in anything. Like, when, when he came out as George Washington in Hamilton, I was like, Christopher Jackson. Chunk. <laughs> chunk. Yep. Absolutely. I was like, okay, so now I see where people, but he was in a whole bunch of things. He was the singing voice of the dad, the king in Moana. Yeah, absolutely. Did not know that. Yeah, there's a lot of Hamilton people in, in Moana. Yep, mm-hmm. a lot of references. Well, I knew Lin-Manuel Miranda did the, wrote the song for uh, Maui, but I didn't realize it. Christopher Jackson had sung. But at any rate, it was cool to see him as Mr. Softy and, um, you know, Lin-Manuel as the pro. So, but how did you think Anthony Ramos did it? You can make the comparison. I thought Anthony Ramos was fine. I mean, he played his son in the previous, so there's got to yep. be some kind of similarity. But yep. um, other than it's not him, and I've never seen Hamilton other than the Disney Plus version. So I don't know how I'd feel going to see it when it comes to Eccles again sure. and That's not right. having it be... David Diggs yeah, and all, you know, Leslie Odom Jr. It's especially. So Leslie Odom Jr. is the one that kills me whenever it's somebody else. I'm always like, no, we need Burr back. <laughs> but I am a huge fan of 1776, the sure. original original. But I still managed to really enjoy the version they did it at Rogers Memorial Theater up in Centerville one time. I saw it up at, what's the one up at the U? Uh, uh, Pioneer. PTC, my, Pioneer, my, my, yeah. Uh-huh. So I saw I saw a version up there. And each one interprets, you know, how they build their sets and do things a different way. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was okay with each. Uh, but but almost like having to be there makes it different. Like, I guess if I had to watch a stage version with other actors that's videoed, I might have a harder time with it. But, but yeah, so I, I don't have that comparison. And I hadn't heard. I was doing some IMDb dives on some of the other actors and... Um, the girl who played Vanessa, her name was Melissa Barrera, and she hasn't been in much of anything else outside yeah. of Latin television, Mexican yeah, television. Most of them are pretty well unknown. I mean, we have some of the supporting cast and things like that that have some. Corey other Hawkins, I'd never seen him in anything else. He played Benny. Leslie Grace plays Nina. I was well, watching I that, her. going like, "Oh my gosh, is that?" And I kept trying to place her in something else, and I, I finally came to the realization: I thought she looked a lot like. Um, from coming to America, Akeem's wife when she oh. was young. Oh, because that's what I was, I was like. I can't place that face, but I've either seen it on a Disney Channel show because my kids have watched it. <laughs> sure, or, but she's she's the wrong age to fit there. And I finally worked my way back to she looked like um, the actress who played uh, mm. the girl Akeem goes for in, in Coming to America. But yeah, see, I thought Vanessa was was weaker, and I don't know why. If there there was just something I didn't like about her. Or if I didn't like her story arc, but she just seemed kind of a little stuck up and judgmental. I thought she was hot. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Maybe that's why you like. I'm her. allowed she to say that. that. <laughs> like no, no. Um, I think the cast was like pretty well virtually unknown, and even the ones that do have some credits, you know, are secondary credits. But uh, back to Anthony Ramos and seeing him step in for Lin Manuel. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a cadence about Lin Manuel when he raps. It is this scrappy, beautiful blending of all these worlds that Different whenever energy. he does, yeah, he mm-hmm. has this way of rhyming things that if anyone else said it, it just wouldn't rhyme. Mm-hmm. And so it's very odd for me um, to see somebody else step into that role. But I do really think that Anthony Ramos did a really great job. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to see Anthony Ramos in Pioneer Theater's production as Usnavi. So I don't well, know if you guys. 
Really? I, I can't so remember. He's played Usnavi so before. he's played Usnavi a bunch. So I probably saw the same one. You absolutely did. Here's awesome. what's crazy. He actually got his equity card from Pioneer Theater. Cool. So oh, wow. Anthony Ramos, Utah. Usnavi gets his equity card, heads off to Broadway kind of thing. So this is not his first time. He stepped into um, a couple of different roles that Lin-Manuel has played and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think he matched a lot of the cadence a lot better. Mm -hmm. I don't think he has exactly the same style, style, but I do think he raps really well. But I don't think he would try to sound exactly like Lin-Manuel. No, no. I mean, you'd want to kind of put your own stamp on it, but while keeping the the spirit, for lack of a better word, of of the original. I don't want the exact style. I just want some of that same swagger or like surety in their tone in their voice and some of the things like that. And I think he pulls that off. Well, and he definitely added his own stamp to it. It was a little bit more awkward and adorable and a little more subtle, which I thought really came off as a film really wonderfully because you're closer to the character. And it did make him... The interactions with him between him and Vanessa a little bit more impactful to me. Like the whole Tide pen and... Yeah. When they're, when they're, what is it? The door to the, yeah, the fridge, and he, he pulls up in the fridge. He's being kind of cute, and then he puts his nose up against. I'm like, no, dude, dude, don't do that. So I loved, I loved yeah, how he added a sure. little bit. He so. can be fumbling around girls, but if Anakin Skywalker says something about sand, people go sideways. Age difference. Jeez. <laughs> but no, I think he did really well. I loved having. If him anything, Usnavi has no issues. He's thirty. <laughs> he shouldn't be that fumbly around ladies. I'm 34, and I am. Totally fumbly and weird around guys, so I I understand that. (laughs) But yeah, as for the rest of the cast, though, um, I think the only thing that stood out to me was there's a couple of moments where I feel like Vanessa and Nina are both a little too quiet or understated in their songs, and I wanted more of like more belting and more like. I don't know, vibe or vibrancy or like just kind of developing their own style. Mm-hmm. There's a couple places where they're all singing over top of each other and you are not sure which one of them that you're listening to. Because their voices are very sweet to each other. I thought Nina mm, was very strong with acting, like without the singing. And she, I wanted a little bit more from her. Did they sing their own songs the then? They didn't mm-hmm. have any. I could have sworn at one point Chris Jackson was singing Benny's part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his I voice thought, was wonderful. But I, I, obviously not. Or there would have been a credit in there somewhere. Um I have a so I listened to the when I and maybe this is just my unfamiliarity with some of the different actresses. But when I was listening to the Broadway cast soundtrack for In the Heights, I thought that um, either either Nina or Vanessa, I thought it was the girl who played Angelica in Hamilton on the Broadway version. It's not, but it sounded so much like her. That I expected her to say, Angelica. <laughs> <laughs> and that's totally a thing. If you look into Lin-Manuel shows, there's a whole bunch of actors. And that's why I thought maybe there was crossover from cross that, yeah. and things like that. And there definitely are some ones that have crossed. I know the gentleman who played Graffiti Pete in In the Heights has been in Hamilton. Um, a, a couple other crossovers like that. So I'm I, glad they had his character still in the film because I was worried when I too. didn't see him around. Me too. Yeah. No, he was key, it turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, at the end with the, with the drop cloth too. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting to give him a little bit more of a story. All right. Well, we are. This is me. Might be one of our longest podcasts ever, which I'm grateful for because I love it and I love musicals. So, um, real quick, do we want to do kind of a a wrap up of our general impressions? Maybe your impression has changed a bit as we've discussed it um, today. Um, I guess since I'm offering the idea, I will. I will do that. Loved it. Really great. There's. Um, a little bit more criticism I might be thinking about, but you always have to think back of what the writers and what they were developing the story to to say there. I would say go see it. Go see it on a big screen. 
I hope I hope they it gets to the point where we do like sing alongs and stuff. Those are always my favorite. Um, and you know, there's no way I'd try to sing along with that speed of. I think that's fun of it, though. Song. It's all about practice. Just right. How much this grade would have to be if it was like follow the bouncing ball? A whole paragraph. <laughs> I mean, you 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 really would have to rehearse before you went to this sing along. Have you met theater kids? <laughs> we, well, we I believe that. that. I believe that. Um, so I, I really liked it, and I, I liked some of your points about particularly because I I know a bit of about Latino culture, but no, I wasn't as in depth as as you were actually living within it. So that was really great hearing hearing that, and I think it made me think even more about their their point of view. So love the film, go see it. Very colorful, very fun. Um, I enjoyed it even more than like The Greatest Showman or or some of the more modern musicals that have been out or uh, staged to film musicals as well. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and I think it's poignant for this time um, in our country when we are struggling with uh, immigration um, issues and, and respecting each other's different cultures and letting people's voices be heard a bit more. I think it's a wonderful, poignant film for, for this summer, and particularly as we're overcoming the pandemic, going and just having fun, celebratory fun. In and hopefully theater. we won't have a blackout. And hopefully we won't have a blackout because you want to you wanna finish this. Because I have a second floor bedroom and it's so hot when there isn't a blackout. <laughs> blackout, blackout. When we moved into our house, uh, we didn't have a central AC. It was damaged in a flood before we bought the oh, house. No. Mm-hmm. So we had all the windows open at night and all the ceiling fans going and it was still too hot. Because mm-hmm. we moved in like the last week of July. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right, so so for me, you know, I gave it three out of four stars in my review, and mm-hmm. I just I really like the message. I like the feeling of it. I, you know, I hope people who might object to it culturally yeah. or, or or might not be might be reticent to go because you're just not interested. You know, I hope they'll give it a chance. Um, I'll understand if you know if if you don't like musicals. I don't know if this is the one that'll get you to like musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hamilton's probably going to be better at that than this version, but it's certainly enjoyable. And I've liked it more and more the more I've listened to it. Uh, there's few musicals that the more you listen to it, the less you like mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Um, but I, I like it. I'm, to me, the biggest question I've been running back and forth in my mind since I saw it was, what effort am I going to make to watch the movie again? Am I going to buy it? When am I going to buy it? Am I going to buy it to show it to uh, someone, you know? Yeah. It's going to be on HBO Max, so I can watch it as many times as I want for that first month when it's on there. But then am I going to try to buy it later? You know, and when I walked out of it, I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, again, that was my first time digesting the story. I hadn't had a whole lot of time to think about it much more than, okay, now I know what how they get from point A to B and, and what some of these songs mean. But now I'm going to listen to these songs again. And see, you know, like Wicked was much more enriched, and I'm now oh, yeah. frustrated that I can't see Wicked a few more times. Yeah, that one is on like any and of the other the shows. And the movie we're still waiting on, and they yes. changed directors again, and who knows when this thing's going to happen. I mean, good night. Kristen Chenoweth's going to have grandkids I was going to say, before. they had to wait for Adina and Kristen Chenoweth to age out of it, so there was no, no debate. <laughs> need, they need to do it. but No, they definitely do. But at any rate, you know... This isn't one I'd start it with, but certainly if you like musicals and you're just on the fence about this particular one, it's absolutely worth it. Definitely. Absolutely. I think for me, I just keep going back to how beautiful the film was uh, from a cinematography set, from standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint. The music is just amazing and loud and layered upon layered. But 
I also love the really quiet moments. There's a couple of quiet moments where Usnavi's just sitting in his house just before the day begins. And it's kind of this self-talk that he has where he talks to this picture of his dad and kind of just references his dad and his culture and this whole idea of Swanito or this small dream. It's true. We hardly even talked about that. That's a key word throughout the movie. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I love that they took the moments to kind of weave in those additional storytelling points. Um, I'm going to say something kind of the other, slightly different, but I believe, too, that for whatever reason, In the Heights has always kind of been this change for me in musical theater. I think when people think of musicals, they think like tap dancing or they think, you know, like chorus lines or, you know, some of those more stereotypical traditional theater things. And I think In the Heights was one of those first, you know, amongst many of them that were different and they had bold music and different sound and things like that. And so I would challenge people, too, that if if you're on the fence about it, to go in knowing that this could be what changes your view of musical theater to some degree. That's for my friend who mentioned he... He got through Hamilton because it was rap, and yeah, it, exactly. had it been traditional singing style, it's, it's maybe no he wouldn't have. Rogers and Hammersteins, or even Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's a whole different yep. field. And we're seeing a lot of technology in theater. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of different things happening in theater that we haven't in the past. And I think this is all part of that: is that theater has broadened its scope. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a show or something for everybody t- to some re- to some degree. So well, I've think, heard that Harry Potter was just like mind blowing. Well, we can have an entire podcast. About I've, Harry Potter. I refuse to watch the the Cursed Child. So oh yeah, absolutely, go see it. <laughs> you know, I've heard like I've heard people like. Saying, I, I jaw on the floor. I have no idea how they did what they did. They absolutely look you straight in the eye and they just change right before your eyes. And you still just go, I was right there and I have no idea how they did that. <laughs> uh, but there's something so beautiful about this show and about this story. And I've kind of touched on it earlier, but this message of home and whatever home is for you, whether you're kind of walking away or finding a new home or whether you're coming back to it and discovering it again. Or like Sonny in the film, he's fighting for a chance just to keep his current one. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really beautiful themes and things like that of story storytelling just kind of reminding us what it means and to think about the things that we do have to be thankful for 100 percent, go see the film mm-hmm. take all the people that you know and love great show support the arts support good storytelling <laughs> bobby it's been an absolute delight having you with us today hey absolutely thanks for having me i love talking about this stuff oh it's been so wonderful um so just a reminder you're 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 from hail center theater uh, what show is going on right now at Hill Center? Absolutely. We're in June 2021. Yeah, so I'm just about to jump into tech for both um, Guys and Dolls and mm-hmm. then a show called Classic. Always Patsy Klein, which is kind of a biopic about all about her life and her music. And they're both musicals, correct? Yep, both musicals. Awesome. And Guys and Dolls, Big Stage, Jewel mm-hmm. Box is the other one. Okay. Yep. And you guys can find information at hct.org. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad we got to meet with you because I had no clue when I asked you that you were such an In the Heights fan. Oh, I got that uh, message from your dad and I was like yes yes yes, choose me please yes (laughs) and you rearranged stuff and we're so glad to have you again on the show sometime I'd love to thanks Um, (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of Fan Effect a KSL News Radio podcast beyond sci-fi fantasy gaming and tech we are excited to share with you our knowledge and arguments on everything pop culture and fandom. Uh, based in the beautiful Beehive State, uh, Fan Effect celebrates Utah's unique fan culture, and we are excited to bring you local guests that feel the same way. I'm one of your hosts uh, and producer, Kellyanne Halverson, along with our ho- other host, an ultimate Salt Lake fanboy, Andy Farnsworth. Listen regularly on your favorite platform at kslnewsradio.com, kslpodcast.com, or on the KSL News Radio app. Do you have a fun idea or local fan? 
fan culture topic you would like for us to explore, let us know by messaging our Facebook page at Fan Effect Show, where you can also get the latest nerdly updates and join the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at Fan Effect Show and Twitter on Fan Effect Show. Uh, thanks again for listening. We hope to have you back real soon for another episode of Fan Effect. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.